You are now listening to episode 82 of No Truths Barred, a heretic's view on modern relationships. So many times on social media, we see all of these asinine things that men say and women say as it relates to relationships, the concepts of a high-value male and a high-value woman. I deconstruct and argue against many of these premises put forth by many of these podcasts and YouTube channels as it relates to relationships. Make sure you check this episode out and also go to YouTube and follow and subscribe to the No Truths Barred YouTube channel. Thank you for listening and enjoy this episode. Peace. Welcome to episode 82 of No Truths Barred, the best up-and-coming podcast on the internet. And I'm your host, Hoika Waku Timmons. And I want to thank you for joining me on this episode. And also, if you supported the podcast in any way, shape, or form, I want to thank you. That includes leaving a comment, clicking the like button, subscribing to the YouTube channel, of course, and following me on Instagram. I deeply thank you. And if you've missed any of the previous 81 episodes, those episodes are available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Also, the newest episodes are available on YouTube as well. And thank you for the support. Letting you guys know, I've been asked this question a few times over the past few weeks. People have said, Hoyt, is this just a strictly solo podcast now? Well, rest assured that I'm working on getting some more guests on for the months of May, June, and July. So I'm working on that right now. But once again, thank you guys for the support. The support keeps me going. Also, check out the latest episode of my Saturday Night Confessional. It was a motivational piece for all of those who are content creators, all of those who are entrepreneurs, all of those who are authors, or anybody that's trying to aim and aspire uh, to a different level in life that may be going outside of the beaten path. So definitely check that episode out. I, I did it for the creators. I did it for the creators on that one. And uh, a lot of people told me that it really hit home for them. So check that episode out. Without further ado, I want to get into this episode tonight. Uh, this episode tonight is about the current nature of relationships. I consider myself a heretic in the in the regards of I question paradigms that are told to me. Any paradigm that you put in front of me, I'm going to scrutinize it. I'm going to be critical of it. I'm, I'm very castigating in nature when it comes to various philosophies and ideologies. And I would be remiss if I did not bring that same level of scrutiny to relationships. Now, the impetus for this particular episode is that I, every time I get on social media, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitter, whether it's TikTok, I'm seeing these same 
asinine and inane quotidian themes that are projected by both men and women when it comes to relationships. These themes are projected when it comes to, to uh, classifying the value of a man or a woman as, a, as it relates to a relationship. So I just think one of the things that we have to realize is that we're animals first. Human beings are animals. And when I tell that to people, they get up in arms. But that's what we are. And a lot of the things that we do are governed by genetics. A lot of the things that we do are governed by different hormones that uh, influence us to want to spread our, our seed, if you will, or spread ourselves genetically. And we forget that. I read an article where it stated that falling in love, that intense feeling, that infatuation that you get, that high you get, that dopamine high that you get when you're around a certain person is akin to doing cocaine. Matter of fact, when you fall in love, the same areas of your brain that ignite when you do cocaine ignite when you fall in love. So you're really not thinking about things in a state of logic. You're not really thinking about things in a, in a sound mind. You're looking at things from the lens of lust. And once again, this goes back to our need to produce progeny. And I think we forget that fact. I think the artifices of civilization and culture, they've deluded us from the fact that we are, in fact, animals. So this point of us being animals, you know, people say if... If we are animals uh, and we are apes, how are apes still here? We're human beings. We're a type of ape. That's what we are. And I mention this because I think to fully understand the reasons why we mate, to fully understand the reasons why we pursue love and pair bonding, you have to understand the very base and primitive nature of the mental, the, uh, the, 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 mental capacities, if you will, that make us homo sapiens or human beings. And a lot of times we don't like to look at ourselves like that. It makes us feel uncomfortable because we don't want to face this back. You know, we want to believe so many people that are into a lot of this new age spirituality, everyone wants to believe that, that they are God. I did a video recently where I said, black people, you're not most of you all don't descend from kings and queens, and people got up in arms over it. So we kind of have this uh, predilection, if you will, for wanting to identify with the divine. We have this predilection to want to, to identify with royalty or that we descended from a royal bloodline or that we come from these huge cosmopolitan ancient civilizations. But in reality, that isn't the case. And for some reason, bare minimum reality is repulsive to us. And so I think when we look at love and we look at sex, these things we really can't grasp because we have a view that isn't connected to reality when we want to discuss these things. Like even with that, we, we want to demonize the concept of lust, the concept of attractiveness, the concept of being pulled to one another in that capacity. But this is the way we've made it since we became homo sapiens over about 200 to 250,000 years ago. That's how long 
anatomically modern humans have been around. And what that means is human beings that look like you and I have been on this planet. You see a woman or you see a man, you recognize their symmetry, you look for certain things, uh, certain fat deposits in certain areas on the body of a woman. Uh, men and men, you look for uh, broad shoulders, full beards. These are things that indicate genetic health. And this is how we've operated. This, this has been our modality of coitus, if you will, since time immemorial. And that's part of our animalistic nature. Now, am I trying to uh, encourage people to just be hedonists and engage in debauchery? And I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that this animal that we call a human, this animal that we call a homo sapien, this primate body that we exist in with this advanced technology in the year 2022, it is very complex and it's made up of so many different factors. And because we don't understand these factors, we make these assumptions about men and women that's not historically sound, that's not uh, anthropologically sound, that's not biologically sound. And we just project these things out there like it's the truth. And that's why I said what, because I'm going to get into these crazy arguments that people have been putting out there. I'm going to get into that. But I think we have to understand uh, culture because culture plays a huge, a huge fact. Really, the ideas and the concepts that we have about men and women is facilitated by culture. Your culture designs the way that you look at beauty for the most part. Your culture designs the way that you look at the roles of men and women. And a lot of times we just think that these things are innate to us, but we learn them because every human being comes into this world as a clean slate. But we learn these things via culture, via our families, via uh, the hierarchies that we live in. And I think a lot of times we internalize these standards of living as the truth instead of a type of truth. So, for example, in the West, we've really internalized the idea of a nuclear family. We've really internalized the idea of monogamy, and it's not wrong and it's not incorrect. But it's a type of living. In Gambia, you have these Fulani people called the Wodabe. And every year they have a festival. And in this festival, men actually take the wives of other men. And what the men do, they get really dressed up, they do these dances, and they're really trying to show off their physicality amongst other women, and women will choose another husband. Does that mean that's the right way to do relationships and marriage, or is it right for them? And what I'm trying to preach and get people to understand that the way the Wadabe live, or the way we live here in the United States, neither one is wrong. It's just that we have different ways of doing it. But I think the, the fallacy of culture at times is that we look at the way we operate as being the standard and the barometer for which everyone else should operate. And if they don't operate like that, it's something wrong with them. They're backward. Their culture is counterproductive. They need to be civilized. These are things that we say unknowingly 
and things that are very condescending about cultures that are different from our own. But we in the West, I think because of the sort of platform that we have living in the United States, we feel so comfortable talking down upon other cultures that we really haven't sat down to study. You may have Islamic societies, you have different societies in Africa that uh, in uh, parts of the Fertile Crescent, Middle East, where they practice polygamy. So in these cultures, it's not abnormal for a man to take multiple wives. And it's perceived as being normal. And I've, I've heard a lot of women and men on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, on TikTok, where they say that uh, real the real nature of a man is polygamy. A man is supposed to have more than one wife. Once again, this is just one way of living because in order for you to have polygamy in marriage, these are all concepts that come in with the advent of the agricultural revolution, which occurred about uh, 12 to 13,000 years before the common era, because in order for you to have that, you have to have a settled society. You have to have agriculture. You have to have property. You have to have something to barter. So this is another concept that people say is natural for a man to have multiple wives. But I would argue that human beings are like water. We adapt to environment. I don't believe really there's like a natural state for human beings. It's this is the template for our society. This is the template for civilization. And we adapt mentally, we adapt spiritually, we adapt morally, and we take on these things so that wherever we are, we can see the proliferation of our family, the proliferation of our genetics in said environment. So humans are very malleable, but what we do is we take something that fits a preference that we may have. So you may look and you'll see a polygamous society and you'll look at that and say, well, man, men are meant to have multiple wives. Men aren't meant to really be anything. Women aren't meant to be anything. We adapt. Evolution is not linear. People think because something evolves, it's better. Evolution isn't better. It means you adapted. That's all that it means. And so if you go back and you look at our hunter-gatherer ants, but before I go to that, a lot of men and women now, are, and I'll see there are women that are on social media and they said, hey, I'm in a polygamous relationship and I'm happy. I have my husband and there's another wife here. There are two wives here. But polygamy nor monogamy is not natural. Let's look at different cultures. For example, I told you about the Wadabe, the Fulani. Let's look at uh, the Himalayas. There's a group in the there's a group of people in the Himalayas. And I can't remember the name of the group, but there's a group of people where they practice polyandry. So the woman will have multiple husbands. There are groups in the Amazon that practice partible paternity. So what partible paternity means is that you believe that a fetus is constituted of congealed semen. Furthermore, you also believe that multiple men make up the various facets of a small human. So a woman will, if she sees a man that's good looking, she'll mate with him. If she'll see a man that's funny, as a good leader, she'll mate with him. If she'll see a man that is, is warm, caring, a provider, etc., she'll mate with him. In hopes that the fetus will embody all of these qualities. And in these societies, there's no word for father. The word for father is kind of equivalent to what we would have for uncle. And what happens is when the child is born, 
all of the men in the village take turns raising this child. So I say this, human beings are malleable and there's no such thing as this is the way human beings are meant to be. Now, if you go back and you look at our pre-agricultural days, prior to the advent of the agricultural revolution, when we would have uh, been uh, subject to Dunbar's law, which means most uh, hunter-gatherer groups would have lived in uh, groups of up to 150 people, they practiced what was called omnigamy. Omnigamy or omnigamy, if you will, is where one man is married to all of the women in the group and one woman is married to all of the men in the group. So it would have been a free-flowing exchange of sex between multiple different types of people within that particular band of hunter-gatherers. And not only was it just uh, free sexual relations and coitus between those groups of people, it was also used as a way to strengthen social bonds in that, in, in, in that group. Because prior to the advent of agriculture, paternity wasn't a big deal. And the reason why we're big on paternity now is because now we have the concept of ownership. Now we have the concept of heirs and ascending to the throne or who I'm going to leave my property to. And once again, let me put this caveat in here. I'm not saying that's the wrong way to look at it. I'm saying it's just a type of way to look at it. Just like um, omnigamy for our uh, hunter-gatherer ancestors, not saying that that was the right way to do it. That was a type of way to do it. But we have to get this, get away from this idea of using our own culture and how we look at women and men and sex as being the barometer for which all other human beings have to acquiesce to because it's asinine and it's a very infantile and adolescent way to view the world and other human beings. And there's a hint of xenophobia there as well. And that's all I'm trying to get over to people. That's all I'm trying to say. And then we have this idea, there's no superiority. Why is it that men seek to be superior to women? Why is it that women seek to be superior to men? Once again, if you go back to our hunter-gatherer days, men and women operated equally. There was an equilibrium. And matter of fact, there was a concept a fierce egalitarianism to the point where if you were a person where you were you were kind of like a megalomaniac and you were trying to take over you could be excommunicated or killed there was a huge emphasis on sharing there was a huge emphasis on everybody being involved whether it's for the hunt whether it's in rearing children this is a, a way that we lived as homo sapiens for at least the first uh, 200,000 years of our existence or 200, or let's say 240 some thousand years of our existence on this particular planet as anatomically modern humans. But now we look for superiority. I'll hear people say, well, look at ancient Kemet and they worship, uh, they worship, uh, I used to remember all of these different deities, Aset or Isis. or Shishet, or you look at different Orishas that may be uh, women, you know, like Ashun and, and, and you have Oshun, you have Oya, or people look to different uh, group different groups in Mesoamerican culture and you look for, for female deities, or you look for male deities, you look for Osar or Cyrus, look for Odin, 
And it's this weird dynamic that we have where we want to look in nature and we want to look in the, the ethereal realm and we want to look at gods and goddesses in the Bible and the Quran and the Torah for looking for the, the, the innate superiority of men or the innate superiority of women or the innate inferiority of women and the innate superiority of men and it's so backward and counterproductive now we want to expand that to science people are saying that men are going to go extinct because the x chromosome is mightier than the y chromosome and the y chromosome is disappearing so over 66 million years ago the x chromosome and the y chromosome that we both have now which are sex chromosomes they came from autos autosomes and the proto-Y chromosome, which is the chromosome that denotes whether a fetus is going to be a man or a woman, the proto-Y chromosome at one point was actually as big as the X chromosome. So the X chromosome currently has about 2,000 different genes. The Y chromosome has under about 200 different genes. And some people said that, uh, some scientists, not people, the Y chromosome, it lacks genes and it lacks a backup chromosome. And due to that, it may be harder for the Y chromosome to get rid of certain mutations that can lead to aging and disease. And so that may explain why typically, not all the time, women live longer than men. But the Y chromosome actually has evolved these kind of uh, uh, palindromic se sequences where they can actually vet out, the Y chromosome can actually vet out mutations and preserve itself. And I hear women on social media, they'll say, hey, the X chromosome is this. But the reality is that the X and the Y chromosome comes together to make a human. And if you had, uh, I think it's called Tucker's disease, where you only have one chromosome. So if there was only one X chromosome, then there is some, it's, I think it's called Tucker's disease, where it has horrible effects on the human body. And so from the man, you have to get the X or the why to produce that human. Once again, none is better than the other. It's homeostasis, it's equilibrium, it's balance, it's the coming together of two facets of humanity to produce and keep humanity going. But we're so in such a competition with one another, we wanna find out which one is inferior and which one is not. And it's just so asinine and backward and stupid. And I'm just bombarded with this shit on my timeline when I'm on social media. We are, we are each other. And what I mean by that is, so every man has estrogen in him. In order for you to develop healthy uh, during puberty, every man has testosterone and estrogen, estrogen in him, excuse me. Guess what though? Women have testosterone and estrogen as well, as you all know, which they produce from their ovaries. We are interdependent upon one another as man and woman, as humanity. But we're always trying to find something to justify one's inferiority or to justify one's superiority. And we have to be careful with this because if you're not careful, what you can do with sex is you can begin to sound like a eugenicist. When you say things like women are innately superior to men and men should be breeded out, or you say things like women are dumb, women are illogical, women are just pure emotional, 
you start to sound like racist eugenicists that had those same views upon black people. They would look at black people and just assess things. And they had scientists even to try to back their pseudo scientific information. So if we're not careful and we make these uh, assertions and assessments, if you will, on men and women about their mental faculties, about their acumen, you sound like a eugenicist. You sound like a racist. The argument mirrors one another. And that's something that we have to be careful about. But once again, we're in this battle of superiority, the godmother or the godhead male deity. Oh, you know, the Egyptians, they looked at male fertility as being the, the, the principle to create life. So that's why Earth is gab. It's like adults, it's like culture has helped us survive, but it's stunted our growth at the same time. Because we just have these weird ways of looking at human, human beings that aren't like us. And I just have to wonder that. So at this point, men and women both need to be bashed for the things that they say. And I'm here to bash both of your asses <laughs> for the things that you say on these social media apps, on YouTube, and even out here in your private conversations. I want to get you to think about what it is you're truly saying when you make these assessments of people. Let's tie into this need to submit. Why do you need another human being to submit to you? Who are you? Ultimately, who are you at the end of the day? Why do you need a person to submit to you? This is something that men put out there about women. Women need to be submissive. Women need to submit. It's this delusion, this folly of culture where we need to get another bipedal <laughs> A primate such as ourselves to show deference to us, just to show innate deference. And for what? It's so much ego with this concept of making a woman submit. Or well, I even heard that men are supposed to submit to the woman because the woman is God. You know what? When I hear these things, when I hear when I hear men say that women need to submit, I hear women say that men need to submit because the woman's God, the woman's the vessels for life. We don't understand the symbiotic relationship that we have. You don't have a human without a man. You don't have a human without a woman. You have a human because these two eyes came together for that one vision. These two eye, these two legs came together for that one walk. You need both equally. One doesn't exist without the other. But so many times we pass off this way to quantify ourselves predicated on 
uh, a horrible understanding of religion predicated upon a horrible understanding of philosophy and ancient civilizations. And we just want to so bad make one better than the other. To my men, and this is something I've seen so many times on Facebook, Instagram, all these different social media apps. We have an internalized sexism. And this is facilitated by, if you go and you look at Shikanta Jap, Shikanta Jap, who was a Senegalese historian, he was a physicist. He was a linguist out of Senegal. He came from the Marabout uh, uh, Sufi Muslims in Senegal. And he had a laboratory in Dakar. He was also a political activist. He was actually jailed for a little bit of time for his political activism. But one of the beautiful things, if you read his book, Civilization of Barbarism, Dr. Shikanta Jop comes up with the two cradle theory. And it's a theory, but it's some validity to it. Uh, in the southern cradle, which is where you will find more matriarchal matrilineal societies, there was more of autonomy for women in a lot of these societies. And he talks about the northern cradle, which will be your societies that you may find like in Gaul, uh, northern Germany, uh, over into like Russia, the, 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 Rus, ter the uh, Rus territory, the Ostrogoths, uh, the Scythians, all of these different people. And then you have like these zones of confluence, which you will find around the Mediterranean, like uh, Asia Minor, Greece, Italy, North Africa. And he looked at it at these different zones as in the way women were treated. And so when you look at this idea of uh, femininity being uh, weak, it comes more so from a nor northern cradle aspect. But even with that, if you look at the, uh, the British Isles and you look at Gaul before the, uh, the coming of Julius Caesar, in priest priesthoods, you actually have women that were priests. Uh, and if you remember in the British Isles, you had Queen Boudicca, who was a, a, a warrior queen, who fought to repel the Romans from coming into the British Isles. So even with that being said, Europe was never a monolith. Even with that being said, and you may have had patriarchal cultures, it wasn't just uniformity all across Western Europe and Eastern Europe as well. There was a lot of nuance and difference and subtleties with culture. But a lot of these ideas, they come from archaic templates of the way women view one another and the way men view one another. And we still hold these repositories, these echoes of a dead past today in how we assess one another. We've perverted the meaning of femininity to be synonymous with weakness. So the first thing you will do to try to disrespect a man is you try to enhance feminine qualities in him to make him look like lesser than a man. And what it does is it kind of internalizes a hatred of women because the closer you can push a man to being feminine is the closer you can push him to being perceived as weak. Thus, you, you take the, the concept of femininity and you don't recognize the full strength, the full power, the full complexity of what it means to be feminine, to what it means to be a woman. Because our manhood is predicated on distancing ourselves from women, yet we do so many things in our lives to get close to women. It's a real oxymoron. 
And on a race level, to scale that out, a lot of us as black men, what we've done, we've made black women the barometer for everything that you don't want in a woman. So when you see these guys get on these podcasts, on these YouTube channels, they'll use black women as the template for every single thing that's wrong in women, period. They say that black women are the most promiscuous women. Black women are are the most dysfunctional. Black women have attitudes. Black women are mean. Black women are uncooperative. Uh, no one is really attracted to black women. No man of high value. And this whole high value, low value concept is some BS. But no man of high value wants black women. So what happens is black women become this punching bag, if you will, for all of these different content creators. And it goes back to femininity being perceived as weak. And since black people in America are like the canaries in the coal mine, or like they say, when white America catches a cold, black America catches the flu, everything that hits all women hard is detrimental to black women. Because everything that women are oppressed by is multiplied times 10 when it hits black women. Black women got PhDs, business owners, no multiple languages. And really none of that matters because you want her to stay in her place and know and, and know her role. And so a lot of times we, uh, as a society as a whole, we perpetuate oppression on women. And in turn, society uh, perpetuates oppression on black people. And then in turn, a lot of black people, black men included, and society perpetuates uh, oppression and uh, negative stigma, stereotypes, uh, uh, on black women. And that's the problem. We remove self-agency from women. And this is something dangerous with patriarchy. I'm going to mention this. And once again, I made a video. Patriarchy has faults and flaws. But guess what? Matriarchy has faults and flaws. There's no such thing as a perfect system. Why do we, hey man, if the patriarchy went down, the matriarchy is the way to go. That's not the truth. Both of them are messed up. Both of them have flaws. And I'm so tired of the fact that we hang on to these archaic ideas for the way people are supposed to live, but we have technology now. We, we have so much information at our disposal. We could create a new system of how men and women can operate that's not patriarchy, that's not matriarchy, that's something that fits us in today's time, but that's a different conversation. But to speak to patriarchy... And this is gonna this is gonna be a weird subject right here. Women are human beings, and patriarchy removes that self agency. And what I mean by that is, when you subscribe to a patriarchal ideal, you don't understand how dangerous women are. And, and what I mean by that is, if you're if you are a misogynist and you're a patriarchal. You're looking at a woman as a child. You're looking at her as, oh, she's emotional. She isn't logical. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Women are logical. Women are strategic. Women will kill you. Women will murder you. Women will set you up. How many times have we seen where a woman set a dude up to get robbed and beat up and all of this stuff? You have to realize that it's, it's a flame. You can take a fire and burn a house down, or you can take a fire and cook a meal for people. See, that's the beauty of humanity. We have a light and a darkness in us, but a lot of men get caught up and, and end up in bad situations because 
you're not looking at a woman in the full spectrum of humanity. Just like women can lead, women can be CEOs, and women can also be terrifyingly dangerous. Women can murder you. Women can end you. But see, I look at a woman as a human because I look at a man as a human. So just in the ways that a man could be intelligent, smart, strategic, a great guy, help out his community, and a man can also be messed up, a killer, a murderer, a, a, a scammer, a, a piece of shit. A woman has the same capacities to do the same thing. A woman could be a leader, a CEO, but a woman could, a, a, a woman could be an author, a, a doctor, but she can also kill you, ruin your life. She can outsmart you. She can outstrategize you. She can uh, uh, poison you. She can rob you. She can get you set up. She can play you. She can still, like, all human beings have the equal capacity to be just as messed up as another group of human beings. But what patriarchy does, it takes self-agency away from women in a positive light and in a negative light. This is why when we see women that are pedophiles, we don't get upset. We actually, oh, I wish when I was a kid in school, my teacher slept with me. No, she's a sick pedophile and she deserves to be punished to the fullest extent of the law but but because this patriarchal society it takes away self-agency from women it looks at them as children because they're not logical they're, not, they're emotional you don't think it's a bad thing when a 28 29 30 year old woman sleeps with a 12 or 13 year old boy men are actually say they'll congratulate their sons for being raped by this old woman here relatively old if you are in your late 20s and you're messing around with a young kid but that's the danger of patriarchy is that you don't recognize once again we're all human we're all flawed we all have a dark side and at the base level we're all animals that's the danger of that and we have this possessive hey this is my woman this woman belongs to me. I like what the Buddha said. Buddha said, try to love without coveting. And I'm still working on that myself. But we have that. You're with the woman. This is my woman. This woman belongs to me. Pardon me. This is my woman. This woman belongs to me. She ain't going nowhere. She's mine. You sure about that? Nobody belongs to you. That's not your woman. This is another person you're having an experience with via a relationship. That experience may last a few months. It may last a year. It may last a few years. It may last a lifetime. But this is another person with their own autonomy, their own freedom, that is choosing upon their own free will to come and enter into a relationship with you. A relationship does not equal slavery and ownership. But it's so funny, though, we push for traditional marriage and a lot of a lot of women will say they want a man that's going to lead and head the household. But this is something I want to point out. And this comes from your northern cradle and from your tribal societies, a lot of desert societies. When you go back into antiquity, when you go in the book of Genesis and you read, uh, I think it's the book of Genesis. Or it could be, it could be Exodus. I apologize, guys. But anyway, when you're going through the commandments that were bestowed upon Moses and it said, thou shall not cover thy neighbor's wife, 
throw that donkey or oxen or all these different things, right? What people think that that means is that thou should not covet thy neighbor's wife because adultery was, is wrong. And you're right. Adultery is wrong and the Bible speaks against it. But here's the real reason that in that particular verse, it states thou should not covet thy neighbor's wife because at that point, you were seen as property of your husband. This is why your husband provides for you. This is why the husband's the head of the household. Because you're his property. And thus, it contributes to this idea of ownership. The possessors we use when speaking about our significant other. This is mine. And some people try to use biblical texts to justify that. So a lot of times when you say you want this head in this traditional marriage, you got to understand the history of where that comes from. But I believe in questioning everything and, and you shouldn't possess a person. Love without coveting. This person is not yours. You're not theirs. You guys are coming together, building, working together, learning each other's different idiosyncrasies and producing more. But a relationship is not and should not be slavery, but we have that perspective as men, that's what it is. And because of this culture that we live in, a lot of women have a myopia when it comes to viewing men. So whenever I see these videos on uh, Instagram, whenever I see these videos on YouTube or any of these other social media platforms, and you have women and they're coming out and it's almost like a wokeism that's disguising hatred of men. These A lot of these women are misandrous. A lot of these things are, that are said really is perpetuating a, a, a horrible hatred of men. And so it's a certain myopia, I think, that women have when they speak about men and they classify men. What it could come off as is that Women just see women just see men as tools. Women have a utilitarian love almost for men. You don't care about this person. You only care about their function to facilitate a lifestyle that you want. Because the ubiquitous thing that I've seen, the common denominator I've seen throughout all of these videos is that does he make money and is the sex great? These are the things that I've seen. And I'm not saying that they should not be important, but what I am saying and what's startling to me is that whenever I watch videos with uh, women and they're talking about what they want in men, the scary part to me is that I never hear anything about character. I never hear anything about, do you want a man that's active in his community? Do you want a man that has the, the qualities to be a good father? that can be a good, uh, a good leader of a household that can not only provide financially, but is bringing something into your life on a spiritual level, that's bringing something into your life on an intellectual level, that's bringing something into your life to help you grow as a person. And I never see any of these important intangibles listed when people are on these apps talking about what constitutes a high value man or what constitutes a high value woman. We've deduced a beautiful aspect of humanity, one of the functionaries of humanity, the, 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 the masculine principle, 
to nothing more than money and sex. That's what a lot of women have to deuce men to, where men are so much more than that. We provide so much more than just that. But a lot of women have this, this uh, view of men where it's utilitarian, where you're only good based upon the amount of zeros you have in your bank account. And that's not to say you should go out here and just date somebody that's happy living under a bridge and not doing nothing with their life. I'm not telling people to do that. But what I, I would say is that we need to have a better perspective on how we're choosing mates, men as well. And men, we've deduced women down to, is she going to submit and is she pretty? And that's basically it. But we don't look at the other intangibles that are important in having a good mate and having a, a woman that could potentially be a good wife and a good mother. And we omit so much out of what should we should want in a mate. Yes, that stuff is important. But there are like 20 other things too that are as equally important and we just omit and we miss. There are people out here that are rich that are just scumbags. But but we skip over that. We just like, hey man, they're rich and they have money so that doesn't matter. But there are people out here that are legitimate pieces of you know what, but they have money. But we're, we're, we're willing to calm over that just because they have money. It's crazy to me. I hear now this is the take the table argument is insane. I don't <laughs> the table argument is wild. And I guess maybe that was kind of what I was talking about. And those who don't know the table argument, it's if you've been on social media anytime over the past year, it's this argument of, let me see how I'm doing on time here. Okay, I'm going to try to wrap this up, guys. Uh, I'm trying to keep my episodes now, if I don't have a guest on, to 50 minutes or less. I'm, that's the goal, if I don't have on a guest. <laughs> so let me try to wrap this thing up. But so for the past few months, it's been who's bringing what to the table. That's been the argument. Women should bring something to the table. Women have to bring something to the table. I believe that women are required to bring something to the table more than beauty and sex. Because when you're talking about a relationship, you want somebody that's competent. You want somebody that's smart. You want somebody that's hardworking. You want somebody that uh, uh, is responsible, you, uh, which goes into competent. Uh, you want somebody that's caring, somebody that is going to... Uh, potentially be a good wife, somebody that could potentially be a good mother, somebody that can also be a good leader in case something happens to you, somebody that could be a good steward over finances. Like these are like all real things. And you should think as a woman, if I'm going to a man, what qualities am I going to bring that's going to enhance his life? It shouldn't just be a reciprocal relationship. You shouldn't go to a guy Who's, who's invested blood, sweat, and tears. You know, if you're talking about, and I don't even believe this high value stuff, but if you subscribe to that, let's let's rock with that, right? If you believe in the six-figure guy, the guy that is chiseled and jack, he owns two businesses or whatever, it's a lot of blood, it's a lot of sweat, it's a lot of time that went into that. And if you want that, you should bring something that's gonna edify that guy's life other than just companionship, sex, and beauty. And guess what? 
men should also bring things that are going to edify your life. What I'm saying is we need to learn how to go into a relationship and kind of be selfless, both sides, men and women. And that's what I'm trying to work on. Right now, I'm not dating, but I'm trying to work on my mind. The next woman I date, I want her to feel like it was a blessing having this guy in my life. Like I brought things that enhanced her life. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about many different facets. And I would hope that she would bring things to enhance my life. It's about the team and the partnership. But one person cannot just come and just say, hey, you need to have all of these things. And I'm just here. On, on neither side. I'm about equilibrium. That's If you want to know where I'm at, I'm about equilibrium. I'm about balance. I'm about the, the homeostasis of a relationship. That's what I'm about. That's my epicenter, if you will. But so many, so many of these topics, a lot of women, man, just have this real narrow view. And it's crazy because women will say the future is female. And I don't agree with that. And this is why. It's not because women aren't smart. It's not because women can't lead. It's not because women uh, aren't, aren't brilliant. I mean, I've met, like I've, some of my greatest teachers are women. It's not because of that. I don't believe the future is female because a lot of women aren't really truly trying to change the paradigm. If you read the book, uh, George Orwell wrote this book, Animal Farm, back in the early 1980s. And one of the things in the book, uh, I believe like once the, I think it was the pigs, it's been so long, but anyway, once they took over, they just emulated the corrupt leadership that was there before. They really didn't change anything. And so when I listen to a lot of women talk on uh, podcasts and YouTube channels, and Instagram posts, it's really about juxtaposing the things they claim to be critical of in men. Like women will say, I'm an alpha female. Alpha male, alpha female, beta male, beta female. These are not real concepts. Human beings, our social, uh, our social structures are too complex to label people as being alpha and beta. But when I hear someone say that, it's a red flag for me because now I'm looking at it like, you're not truly trying to step outside of this paradigm. It's not that you have a problem with the structure and the inequality. It's just that your problem is that you're not in charge of the structure that perpetuates the inequality and oppression amongst a myriad of people in this culture. And unless you have a different way of thinking and a different way of looking at things, essentially nothing is really going to change. And once again, this goes back to the way we view women, if you look at the patriarchy, like you go back in history, it was a woman that took the head of Cyrus the Great. Women have the ability to take a check from Exxon, to take a check from somebody. I don't know what Exxon is, but women have the ability to take a check under the table. Women have the ability to be corrupt. Women have the ability to sell, like anything that a man has a, a proclivity for, so does a woman. You know why? Because they're just people and they're just humans. And you shouldn't romanticize somebody 
just strictly based off of being a man or just strictly based off of being a, a woman. You shouldn't romanticize people off of that. But, but that's where we are. And so when, and so how are you against the patriarchy when you use patriarchal ideals to uh, empower yourself and to look down on men? And I always figured if women were to grab the reins, I kind of would think that we would live, we would, you know, maybe we'll move into a different uh, system where everyone has more autonomy, you know, it wouldn't be as stressful to live. I don't know what it would look like, but when I talk to women, I see not all women, but when I see these videos, it just really feels like women just want to be in charge and don't really want things to change. And I'm not talking about something silly like being uh, like an anarchist or anything like that, but I would think that if the future is led by just a gender only, we're going to see differences. But a lot of these women just want checks. They want to drive luxury vehicles. So it's kind of like the same order right now. It's just instead of a bunch of dudes doing it, it'll just be a bunch of women doing it. And does that make it any better? Does it make my life better if a woman is a gluttonous CEO making billions of dollars every year while her employees don't have a living wage? Is it better if a woman's doing that? Is it better if a woman is an arms manufacturer and makes money off of selling weapons that kill people? Is it better if women are lobbyists? Is it better? No, it's the same order. So that's why I'm like, unless there's going to be a paradigm shift in thought and value systems, then we're fighting the same race and you'll have women that just look to dominate and oppress just like men just look to dominate and, and oppress. And there's no humanity. Where, If anything, the biggest thing I want you guys to take away from this podcast is that I'm preaching for humanity, I'm preaching for empathy, and I'm preaching for common sense and logic. And so many of these posts you see are from guys that are pure misogynists. So many of these posts that you see are from women that are pure misandrous. And it's not really uh, liberating for anybody. So listen, this has been episode 82 of No Truths Barred. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, make sure you listen to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. And I will be back in, let's see here. Because I do, right now, each episode falls on the second Wednesday and fourth Wednesday of every month. And I did not know this, this month had five Wednesdays, so it's kind of threw me off. So I'll tell you this, guys. Um, I will, The next official episode, episode 83 of No Truths Barred, will be back on the 13th of April. That'll be, But uh, I will have uh, two more truth sessions coming, another Saturday Night Confessional. And, uh, yeah, so look out for True Sessions. Look out for uh, Saturday Night Confessional. And I will see you guys on the 13th. Once again, thank you for the support. Much love and peace.